Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. An additional caveat is that many of the older, more proximal nerve blocks leave patients with significant muscle weakness, which ideally resolves on its own, but may impair goals of earlier ambulation and more significantly could, on occasion, leave a patient with lasting nerve injury if there was a complication of your nerve block. Many newer techniques are focused on minimizing motor weakness while still providing adequate analgesia. However, this podcast will likely not be able to cover all of these emerging techniques, so keep on learning. Starting as proximally as possible, hip fractures will occasionally be repaired in a main OR. However, most routine hip replacements are done at UK's other hospital down the street, along with the most total knee replacements. For, mo- for patients who present with hip fractures through the emergency department, we will commonly offer and perform an analgesic fasciailiac nerve block, which will be described below. This analgesic nerve block may be repeated when they go to the operating room. However, the primary anesthetic for the fracture repair would likely either be a spinal or anecdotally, more commonly, a general anesthesia. Though we now perform fascia iliaca blocks more commonly, historically and occasionally now we will perform true femoral nerve blocks for hip fractures or femoral shaft fractures. As was mentioned in the previous upper extremity podcast, use of nerve stimulation in conjunction with your ultrasound can increase the success of your lower extremity nerve block as well as decrease the risk of nerve injury. To start, the patient is placed supine on the stretcher and the groin exposed, such that at least the inguinal crease is exposed. The ultrasound machine should be on the opposite side of the patient from the anesthetist. Additional steps, including placing a sterile fenestrated drape and particular care for sterile technique should be observed, particularly if a femoral catheter is to be placed. The ultrasound probe should initially be placed along the inguinal crease and used to locate the femoral artery and vein. From medical school, or perhaps your studies of regional anesthesia, you may recall the navel mnemonic, which helps you remember the femoral artery the femoral anatomy, rather, from from lateral to medial, nerve, artery, vein, empty, lymphatics. The nerve should be a wide band-like hyperechoic structure, one to two centimeters lateral to the artery, ideally cephalad to the division of the common femoral artery. There will likely be an entire triangle of hyperechoic tissue lateral to the artery, however much of this may be connective in lymphatic tissue. The nerve should live deep to the fascia iliaca at the bottom of that hyperechoic triangle. When performing the injection of local anesthetic, the injectate should spread deep to the pulsatile femoral artery for a number of reasons, such as postoperative motor weakness and a higher risk of more severe nerve injury. In high-level athletes, the femoral nerve is less commonly blocked as a proximal as the inguinal ligament if a more distal option is feasible. Thus, we rarely perform what I call a true femoral nerve block. 
As mentioned previously, we have started performing fasciailiac and nerve blocks with greater frequency, particularly for hip fractures. Positioning and initial imaging is similar to what was described for the true femoral nerve block. The patient is supine and the probe is placed along the inguinal ligament, identifying the femoral artery and then sartorius overlying the iliacus muscle. One particular technique that I recommend involves in using an out-of-plane technique to insert the needle and place it just above the iliacus muscle below the fascia iliaca and sartorius. Once there, a small amount of local anesthetic is injected to confirm you're in the proper plane. The probe is then rotated 90 degrees for in-plane visualization and injection of local continues. Trying to visualize the spread of local anesthetic along the plane deep to the fascia iliaca. To achieve the best hydrodissection along this plane, it may be necessary to advance the needle within the pocket of anesthetic as you inject. Just be sure to keep the tip of your needle visualized. On a typical day at our ambulatory surgery center, there are a couple busy ortho rooms which often repair shoulders and knees. This is where residents get most of our exposure to ambulatory knee surgeries, such as arthroscopy and ligament repairs. Most often, these surgeries are done on otherwise fairly healthy patients, and the goal is to provide post-operative analgesia with motor sparing for early PT ambulation and range of motion activity. For a case that is booked as arthroscopy with only meniscal or chondral debridement, often surgeons do not routinely request nerve blocks but regardless, the patient may benefit from them. However, if the patient is to receive a ligament repair or something else more extensive, then a nerve block will often be performed preoperatively. With slight variance based on surgeon preference, we will commonly perform a selective femoral nerve block, also known as adductor canal nerve block, with a continuous nerve catheter and a popliteal sci sciatic nerve block. To perform this adductor canal nerve block, instead of imaging the femoral nerve within or near the inguinal crease, the nerve is imaged approximately 15 centimeters distally as it follows the superficial femoral artery mid-thigh. At this level, the femoral nerve continues as the saphenous nerve deep to the sartorius between the vastus medialis anteriorly and the adductor longus posterior medially. The benefit of blocking the nerve more distally is less motor weakness with adequate sensory blockade at or below the knee, largely sparing the quadriceps muscle from weakness. The patient can be positioned supine, however, rotating the leg by putting the patient in a slight frog leg position can make the medial side of the leg more accessible. The nerve should be identified generally mid-thigh deep to sartorius and lateral to the more superficial femoral artery as the hyperechoic triangle. Once the saphenous nerve is confidently identified, the needle is inserted anterior and lateral and advanced in plane, aiming for about 9 or 10 o'clock on the artery, with visualization of the artery being compressed downwards with injection. Compression is key as it indicates you are in the tight adductor canal. The adductor canal nerve block covers the majority of the post-surgical knee pain and is thus the more important of the two. If an adductor canal catheter is desired following injection, your nerve catheter is then inserted often through the needle, though over-needle systems do exist. 
proper catheter placement can be confirmed under ultrasound by using a small amount of saline or anesthetic injected through the catheter to evaluate placement of the catheter before securing it in place, taping the catheter up the thigh. Care should be taken to secure any catheter in a way that it will not interfere with the surgical field or tourniquet. Postoperatively, this catheter is used to infuse local anesthetic for the next 72 hours via a collapsible bulb that the patient goes home with at the surgeon's request. Though there is a movement to perform more selective sensory nerve blocks, as mentioned before, we still pr commonly perform popliteal sciatic nerve blocks along with the adductor canal nerve block for arthroscopic knee surgery. In performing popliteal sciatic nerve block, the patient may be positioned in lateral decubitus. However, we frequently keep the patient supine and prop the operative leg up in a cushioned boot. The probe is then placed in the popliteal fossa and scanned cephalad. In the popliteal crease, this, typically the sciatic nerve has already split into the tibial and common peroneal nerves, which can be seen as hyperechoic nerves within hypoechoic fascicles. Scanning proximally, keeping the probe on the posterior aspect of the leg, the two nerves should come together to form the sciatic nerve. Slightly tilting, slight tilting of the probe can optimize the visualization of the nerves. We commonly select the site where the sciatic is as one, however, some sources recommend performing the nerve block just distal to the split. At any rate, once your site is selected, keep the probe hand anchored on the leg with the sciatic nerve visualized at the center of the screen taking note of its depth. Let's say it's two centimeters. You will then introduce the needle in the lateral aspect of the leg approximately two centimeters up from the probe posterior surface. And with some accuracy, hopefully you will come in on screen in plane. Initially, attempt to place the needle deep to the nerve and inject, but often to achieve circumferential spread of the anesthetic, subsequent redirection and placement of the needle superficial to the nerve may be required. For an above knee amputation, femoral nerve block can often be performed. However, the sciatic nerve may have to be performed more proximal than the popliteal approach allows. To perform a sciatic nerve block with, with a subgluteal approach, the patient is typically positioned in lateral decubitus with the nerve with the hip, gluteus, and thigh exposed. The major surface landmarks for this approach are the greater trochanter and ischial tuberosity, which may be palpable depending on habitus. The ultrasound probe is placed on the posterior thigh to locate the femur and scanned proximally along the femur to find the greater trochanter, which should be shallower. From the greater trochanter, slide medially to find the muscular gluteus maximus in the center of the screen, with the femur anteriorly and ischium posteriorly deep on either edge of the screen. The sciatic nerve should appear as a bright triangular band deep to the gluteus maximus at about the depth of the femur. If needed, the probe can be translated distally, bringing the sciatic nerve more superficial just distal to the gluteal crease. When a satisfactory tar target is obtained on the ultrasound, the needle should be inserted laterally to medially, first aiming just lateral and deep to the sciatic nerve. After initially injecting deep to the nerve, redirection and needle placement medial to the nerve is accomplished with injection that surrounds the medial or tibial component of the sciatic nerve. 
Though overall, a popliteal sciatic nerve block will be more common, a proximal approach is occasionally needed. Unfortunately, more muscle weakness is seen with the more proximal approaches. Additionally, the proximal approach is more technically challenging given the depth of the sciatic nerve and may necessitate, necessitate the use of lower resolution curvilinear probe. For a below knee amputation, or anything below the knee, a popliteal sciatic nerve block is an acceptable choice in conjunction with an adductor canal nerve block. For many commonly seen ankle fracture repairs, swelling may be a concern of the surgical team and as with any nerve block, it is prudent to double check with the surgery team for compartment syndrome concerns. However, given surgeon approval, ankle fracture repair is typically amenable to a popliteal sciatic as well as adductor canal nerve block. For toe amputations and possibly even transmetatarsal amputations, an ankle block can be performed, typically without the assistance of ultrasound. This is a series of three injections which block the posterior tibial behind the medial malleolus, the deep peroneal nerve lateral to the extensor hallosus longus tendon, and the anterior tibial artery, and the sural nerve posterior to the lateral malleolus. These three points are then connected by skin wheels across the anterior ankle to form a semicircular ring of analgesia to numb the saphenous and superficial facial peroneal uh, nerves and complete the ankle block. In addition to extremity blocks, truncal nerve blocks such as the transverse abdominus plane or TAP block can provide analgesia for abdominal and thoracic surgeries when a neuraxial technique would otherwise be contraindicated due to anticoagulation or patient refusal or in general overkill. For many laparoscopic and even some open abdominal surgeries, a typical posterior tap block can provide significant somatic analgesia from the L1 to T10 levels, and if a modified subcostal tap, up to T6. To perform this simple nerve block, the abdominal wall is imaged between the iliac crest and the ribs as laterally as possible, capturing the three muscular layers external and internal obliques, and the transversus abdominis. The transverse abdominis fascial plane is between the internal oblique and the transversus abdominis, and the goal of this nerve block is to position the needle in this plane, or more accurately, beneath this plane, and as you inject the anesthetic to dissect these layers apart, just above the transversus abdominis muscle. For best results, you may want to find the posterior termination or taper of the transversus abdominis muscle and inject as far posteriorly as possible. Other truncal nerve blocks can be used in the abdomen and thorax for that matter, which are essentially the same idea as the tap block but progressively farther posteriorly towards the spine, including the quadratus lumborum or QL block and the erector spinae block or ESP block. If the incision is planned to be midline and not large enough to warrant an epidural, then a rectus sheath nerve block may also be an option. Similar to a tap block, the needle is injected just deep to the rectus muscle but not through the posterior rectus sheath and into the abdomen. The final commonly performed nerve block at our institution would be the pectoralis block or pex block. These are most commonly done for mastectomies at our institution but occasionally other breast surgeries and recently have been performed following cardiac surgeries to help with overall surgical pain. 
to perform this nerve block, a series of two injections, the probe is placed in the deltopectoral groove below the clavicle and the anesthetist stands at the head of the supine patient. The pulsatile axillary artery is superior to the second rib and the probe is then slid down to the fourth rib. The superficial pec major and the thinner deep pec minor should be identifiable. Starting counterintuitively with the PEX2 injection, the needle is inserted aiming for the fourth rib. The actual goal is between PEC minor and serratus anterior, but if the fourth rib is contacted, slowly inject 20 mLs of your anesthetic on the fourth rib. From here, you will withdraw the needle to the plane between PEC major and PEC minor for your PEX1 block and inject the remaining 10 mLs of your anesthetic. This concludes our two-part podcast of the commonly encountered surgeries and nerve blocks at our institution, particularly on the acute pain rotation. Hopefully, you have an idea of what nerve blocks a particular surgery may require, but this overview podcast is not all-encompassing, and hands-on experience throughout residency should help you gain confidence and skill in regional anesthesia. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well, on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.